Well, welcome. Good morning, Shore friends or family. If you have been maybe forward to this sermon, uh, really thankful that you're listening and just taking your time to hear this. Uh, we are in a new series. This is our second week. Uh, today we are going to be in Psalm 11. And so if you have a Bible, just open it kind of in the middle to Psalm chapter 11. And uh, let me just begin our time asking you a question. How many of you, uh, maybe those who drive, have... Uh, ever gotten in your car or maybe like an Evo after it has sat under one of those trees that just drips sap, you know, and it's the worst, it's the worst. Like every part of your car is sticky, you know, your windshield's all blurry. Even when you put the window washing fluid on, it just makes it worse. It like smears it so it dries even worse. Um, but, but you plan to leave and so you gotta go. And so you start driving and, and you can see, but, but there's a major hindrance into really, really seeing. Well, let's just say, you know, take this analogy so far, that your drive was one where you were just looking forward to seeing the scenery. You're, you were on your way and you knew you were going to see mountains or a sunset. Um, how disappointing is that, right? Like if, if you were on your way to gaze at the glories of the drive, wanting the clearest view of that sun setting, it's, it's, you know this, it's simply really hard to enjoy, right? And I don't, if you're like me, I'm the whole time going, oh, I just should have, I should have stopped. I should have really cleared the windshield. I should have scraped it off. Okay, well, I, I open that way because this morning, uh, we are about to come to the, the sunsets of all sunsets of the blazing beauties of God, uh, in this series, we're looking at the nature and character of God and how the psalmist pulls him into the stuff going on in his life. And today we come to his holiness. This is the most beautiful attribute of the nature of God. And, and I sensed as I was beginning to study this that, that I should address some of the sap on the windshield of our souls before we go on this drive. That is, I don't want us to drive to Psalm 11 unless we address two pieces of sap, namely, and here they are, unforgiveness and disobedience. Unforgiveness and disobedience will, will, won't even let you see some of the beauties that I want you to see today. Okay, now, if you're kind of just joining in and going, this is starting out a little heavy, okay? That's okay, please hear me though. Please hear what I'm about to say next. My desire is yours. Like it really is. What I mean by that is my guess is you've tuned into this message. Maybe this is, you know, this is your church and hi, hi church, love you. Um, but maybe you're, you're, you're not from this church and you've tuned into this message because you had some kind of goal to encounter God. Maybe you respect the person who sent you this or maybe you just clicked on one of our ads. Whatever it is, you're here to see if he's real. You're here to see you know, if he can heal that anxious part of your soul, bring peace to that, that thing you've been weighing on all week. And let me just say this, if we keep unforgiveness in, that is you have bitterness, this unprocessed bitterness towards someone stacked in your soul, it'll be like sap. It'll be like, you won't be able to experience the fullness of the grace that God wants you to experience in this sermon. Moreover, you cannot enjoy the beauty of a friend's presence if you're doing stuff that hurts your friend. 
right? So disobedience is just ignoring God, ignoring the relationship you have with him, what he says is best for you. So the opposite, and this is for us, Shore Church, the opposite of faith and enjoyment of beauty, which is what we're after in Psalm 11, isn't doubt, it's disobedience. So I just wanna implore you, let's, let's just clean off the sap, let's pull over right now before we go on the mountain gaze, let's clean off the sap and I wanna encounter the living God together, so let's clean it off and here's how we're gonna do that. We're gonna do that by coming into his presence in prayer, okay? So I'm gonna show you two prayers and I wanna invite you to read them and then pray them. Uh, and let me just say, if you're new, prayer is simply just talking to God, right? He loves you, he already knows the stuff that's going on in your soul, uh, but he's inviting you into a relationship so, so he can help. But the principle in scripture is, is ask, it's approach, it's don't just think he knows my thoughts, he should just do something, no, talk to him. Uh, Psalm 62, eight says, trust in him at all times, O people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. So um, let's deal with some sap. Here's the first prayer I'd love for you to, to pray this morning. Uh, you can see it on the screen here, but Jesus, I confess that I need to forgive blank, whoever it is. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd bring people to mind that we need to forgive and just confess that I need to forgive. And just pray, I wanna offer them the gift now that you gave me and I release them from this debt and hurt. Help me to no longer rehearse or replay the offense in my mind. Help me not to nurse a grudge or bitterness any longer. So just pray that. And just thank Jesus, say thank you for your grace you poured out on me, I forgive them with your spirit's help now in Jesus' name. Second prayer, Jesus, I confess and just share any disobedience that the Holy Spirit shows you, any disobedience. And then just pray, Jesus, I ask that you would now wash me with your blood. I recognize that I'm forgiven. You are forgiven. And I recognize and receive your forgiveness now in Jesus' name. Thank you for your tender love. And so Jesus, I just bless those who are hearing this, those who are really in a place where they're desperate to see your beauty. They're desperate to see a clear glorious sight of your holiness and enjoy it. And I just want, I wanna pray for those names that came to mind. God, I wanna pray, we wanna pray a blessing on them. And I pray now that we would behold the wonders of who you are in your word. I pray you'd give us joy in a life of turning to you in repentance and refuge. And I just pray as we open Psalm 11, now with the sap cleared because you just did that, I pray we behold the great glory of your holiness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, thank you, thank you. We have, a, we have another special guest reader today, uh, and so she's gonna read Psalm 11 for us. Psalm 11, in the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the, found, 
If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur, and scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteous deeds, the, the upright shall behold his face. Thank you, Jasmine. Okay, air high five, Jazzy, right here. Yes, nailed it. Uh, okay, so James Montgomery, Boyce commentator, uh, says Psalm 11 contains faith's response to fear's counsel. And you can see this, you can see this right after his opening line, the psalmist is clearly placing this psalm within a, an intense situation of great fear, injustice. Uh, you could even see this impending tragedy. He says in verse one, how then can you say to me, so here's the quote of fear's counsel. How can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked, they bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? So, so clearly the council, David is in this situation. The council is, look at your situation. You, you got wicked enemies. They are in active ready one moment away from unleashing devastation action. They're, they're bending their bows. You can see it in the language, it's bent. They, they set their arrows against the strings. It's imminent, it's gonna happen. This is a bow readily placed. The enemy is strategic, is coming in on him. It's going after the upright, the godly. Notice as well in this Psalm, the aim of this enemy. When, quote, the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? It's intense. In other words, he's saying, if you can get at their foundations, they're done. And what's fear's counsel? So what, what's the counsel? A flee, right? Flee like a bird. Notice the t-shirt, okay? Flee like a bird. Bad counsel shirt to your mountain. The advice is be scared, uh, get yourself out of trouble, protect yourself. Uh, you, you, got, you, you gotta just, you have no choice than to hide, escape. It's so dark at this point. Do what's best for you. Don't, you don't need to mind yourself with the things of God. You can ignore any inclination towards that. When morality is undermined and evil sweeping in unchecked, the advice that he's hearing is just flee. Let me ask you, how many of you can identify with this? You can identify with this internal counsel, even maybe you've heard from others, or, or the enemy of our faith have felt this counsel. Escape. Like, you're feeling this tragedy coming on? Escape, get out of this. You can do this on your own. How many this week, you just felt inside your soul, I just want to escape? You, you literally had thoughts, I hate this and like capital H-A-D-E. And, and let, me, let me just say to you, that's extremely reasonable considering the crumbling, and I know hardship or, or internal attacks, spiritual attacks, losing 
uh, all the losses we're experiencing right now with COVID-19. That's reasonable. I don't, I don't ask that with a condemning tone, but this psalm, what this psalm is inviting us to, to do is, is to tune our minds when everything's crumbling around us to someone greater, someone stronger, to take refuge in a source like no other. It's faith's response to fear's counsel. So the question is, let me ask you this, sure. Uh, where do you look when it's crumbling? I mean, really, like do you and I, do we really make the Lord our refuge or do we run to another refuge? And, and li- listen, it, the question isn't, are you seeking refuge? but who or what are you taking refuge in? We're all taking refuge. We're all refuge-seeking beings. So um, as I study the scriptures, let me give us, and, and this, is, this is what the Psalms do, and we'll explain testing in a second, but let me give you five places we see biblically where God's people take refuge apart from the Lord. Uh, here's the first one. When I'm looking for protection and my enemy is stirring fear, how many of you, this is you, I take refuge in my finances, right? What you do is I, I feel safe when there's money. I feel safe when I know what date the government's giving me this. I feel safe. I put my trust, my hope. I'll be okay. Okay, we have money. Now, I'm not saying that reality uh, that you're in isn't hard. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying we don't need provision. Jesus teaches us to pray, uh, give us this day our daily bread. But is that the first place of refuge? Like, do you get your coffee and just check your bank account? I mean, is, is that your first response? Is that your biggest comfort? How many of you, you look at your finances quite a bit. You just keep looking and you, when you get anxious, you just open the bank app. And, and you think in your mind, okay, I'll be okay, I'll be okay. Let me ask you, what's underneath that? By the way, w- one of the questions you're gonna ask in your community group uh, this week a lot is what's underneath that? And uh, I just wanna say, if you're watching this and, and you're, you, maybe you couldn't get into a community group because you know a certain night of the week didn't work for you because your kid had the soccer on a certain night, but now we're all in self-isolation, join a community group. We'll have a link here below. Um, get plugged in. Let me read some scripture though. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish. What's, what's the theme of our... Series, flourishing in self-isolation. Psalm 52, seven says, see the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches. First Timothy six seventeen says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. But where do we set our hope? On God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Okay, how about this one? When I'm looking for protection and my enemy's stirring fear, uh, I take refuge in my family, right? Now again, family is good. It's one of the biggest blessings I'm seeing with COVID-19 across the world. Um, But if your well-being is based in I have family, that's a faulty shelter. 
And I, I say this with love, but if you're thinking all the time, well, at least I have my kids, or at least I have my parents, or at least I have my family, and, and what you do is you put so much trust and so much well-being uh, on people, and they can't give you what your soul's meant to give you, what you will do is you'll inevitably place too much hope, too much expectation on them, and, and, and when that crumbles, or you get a bad day with, a, with your spouse or your kids or whatever, bitterness, frustration, you will plunge into anger or depression, hands down, and you won't know how to get out of it because you'll be too much pride for you to ask for forgiveness. Uh, Don't make family your shelter. One Psalm we're gonna look at next week when we talk about family sin patterns is Psalm 2710. It says, even if my father and mother, what's the word, abandon me. Meaning it's just going to happen. Don't put your refuge in family. What, what does the verse say? The Lord cares for me. So how about this one? When I'm looking for protection and my enemy's stirring fear, I take refuge in worldly pleasure or escape. Some of us, that's been the hardest thing in this time. We, we want to escape. Pornography, uh, alcohol, you know, that's that second, third, fourth glass of Chardonnay, that, that certain show that just recalls some of your old fantasies that you so passionately put to death. Escape. Escape can be something as, as neutral as flipping through social media. Uh, it's still the wrong refuge. How about this one? I... I um, when I'm looking for protection and my enemy is stirring fear, I, I, I find refuge in myself, right? There, there are some of us that we go straight to, you know, I can get myself out of this or I'm gonna have this positive thinking, right? We have these quotes like, you're braver than you believe or follow your fear or, you know, you tell yourself the secret of getting ahead is just getting started, right? You have these cool sayings, but it's just you. Your refuge is, I'm gonna just pull myself up by my bootstraps. And, and I'm not saying that those are not meaningful. You're made in the image of God. There's a lot of things you can do, but that's not the refuge. One last one. When I'm looking for protection and my enemy's stirring fear, I take refuge in my own strategy. Some of you are are. are problem fixers, right? And, and you've been gifted with a smart mind, but you, you have this natural effort. You have this own strength. You're good at calculating. You're good at planning ahead. You got all the facts. And, and, and so you're being really strategic. That's not a refuge. Isaiah 30, one to three describes and warns us of this very clearly. It'll be on the screen. Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord who carry out a plan, but not mine, and who make an alliance, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Watch this, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction, to take, what's our word, sure? I'll wait for you, refuge, to take, what's our word? Refuge in where? The protection of Pharaoh, and to seek the shelter in the shadow of Egypt. So I bring all these up, not only because they're in the scriptures, but listen, our enemy doesn't want us to flourish in self-isolation. Our enemy wants you to make those things your refuge because when you do, your worship and strength isn't in the Lord. And if he can get you 
to, to the top of your mountain, if he can get you to escape like a bird to the top of your real refuge, and it's not God, he's, he's got you perfectly in a place where your foundations can falter and crumble and you, you can give him influence. That's what he wants. And so maybe you're watching and you're, already, and you're thinking, uh, I already have, I already have done that. That's okay, he's, he loves you. He's right now, he gave you this sermon. He's with you, you can just bring that to him. That's why we have Psalm 11. So David says, when the advice comes, hey, look, flee like the bird. He says, no, 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 you're, you're going too small to the mountain, go bigger. He says, go beyond the mountain, who is above it all. Look at verse four. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. So when justice and danger and all that we're talking about, life's unraveling, he tunes in to the reality of, of the holy presence of God, to the Lord in his holy temple. Later, he uses the word for holiness in verse seven, the Lord is righteous. Um, so sure, I want you to think right now about a current present event that's literally happening as you took that breath and I just said that sentence and you're watching this screen. Right now, th- there, there is one attribute that is being declared over the throne room of God day and night, like it's happening right now, day and night, day and night, and what is that? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's literally happening right now. Angels are are growing in their enthusiasm and passion, and they're not, listen, they're not singing love, love, love. They're not singing truth, truth. They could, those are all true of who God is, but the one attribute that they are singing and worshiping is holiness. This is what David draws his soul in this moment into. In fact, I want to tell you, Isaiah, you got to read Isaiah 6 later, but Isaiah um, not only sees the robe of the Lord fill the temple, uh, in, in the ancient world, the robe was how much power you had, how big your robe was. This robe is just beyond all other robes. But he sees these, so I'm talking about angels, he sees these seraphim, uh, the word means burning ones. So just, you, just so you know, these angelic beings are burning in their passion for God. Think about these angels. They're burning in their intensity for God. Those who are closest to God are the most on fire for God. As one put it, there's no lackadaisical spirit here in heaven. You you cannot be in the presence of God and and be bored or unaffected by his awesomeness. Then you haven't seen it. So let's ask the question, what is the holiness of God? Well, when we speak of the holiness of God, the word uh, simply means otherness. It means separate. It's a word that means simply to cut away, to be distinct. Uh, the holiness of God means that he is set apart from his creation, that he, that he is separated above his creation, that we are, we are not on his level. He is so other than, he's holier in all that he does. He's at a level infinitely above us, elevated above us, superior to the universe. He's holier than us. 
Let me give you some scriptures that give us a picture of that. So Exodus 15 <clears throat> says this, it'll be on the screen. Who is like you? You're, you're so separate, O Lord, among the, among the gods. Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. First Samuel 2, 2 says, there is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. Uh, Thomas Watson speaks of God as holy in four ways and we'll put these together. But first, uh, intrinsically, God is intrinsically holy. He, he is holy in his nature. Again, he is incomparable. He's, he's infinite perfection. Everything about God is holy, okay? His son is his holy son. The, the, his spirit is the Holy Spirit. His Bible is the Holy Bible. The, the temple is called the Holy Temple. Where he is, they have to take off their shoes and sandals because where he is, it's holy. It's, it's him. God's holiness is his beauty. In um, one of the most memorable quotes in Stephen Charnock's work on God's attributes, he argues this, power is his hand and arm, omniscience his eye, mercy his bowels, eternity his duration, his holiness, his beauty. He's, he's intrinsically holy. Second, he's primarily holy. He is, he is the pattern of holiness. Uh, David Wells says God's holiness then is not only the opposite of evil, it is the measure by which we know evil to be evil. It's the pattern. Charnock says God possesses a perfect and unpolluted freedom from all evil. Simply put, God unchangeably loves good and hates evil. He, he is without moral blemish. He is flawless in all his ways. All of his decisions are perfect. All of his judgments are perfect. All of his decrees are holy. As Steve Lawson put it, everything about this great God is holy and perfect. Therefore, he can take no pleasure in unrighteousness. There is a moral revolt within him whenever he beholds sin and wickedness. God must necessarily abhor sin. As David says in verse five, this is why he can go to the holy temple. Verse five, the Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. By the way, that's why you do too. You're made in his image. So God is not only holy intrinsically, primarily, God is efficiently holy. He's the cause of all holiness in others, including Christ's human nature. Any ounce of being made holy is God's gift, right? We are holy in Christ. We're being made beautiful like Jesus, who's holy. Fourth, transcendently. He is, as Isaiah says, high and lifted up. He is transcendent. There's no one like our God. He, he is far above the capacity of the angels and glorified saints to behold. We will need new bodies to even look at him. You will need brand new eyes to even see him. He is so holy. A.A. Hodge said this, the holiness of God is not to be conceived of as one attribute among others. It is rather a general term representing the conception of God's consummate perfection and total glory. It is his infinite moral perfection crowning his 
infinite intelligence and power. Like this is to whom David draws his soul. And I just want to read one verse in light of this great and dazzling and holy God. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us. If God is for us. Who can be against us? Like if God is for us, he is for us. That's what David knows. Who can be against us? Faith's response to fear's counsel. Like holy, holy, holy. Like that's who's my refuge right now. This is who David sings of when he's hiding under such beauty. He's, he's banking on the fact that this God, this God sees. Like this being is watching me. He sees what these enemies are doing and he's, he's resting under that. And look right at me. So too can we. So too can we. I don't know how quickly we trust God to be God, but we can. Verse six, he says this, let him, let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. Remember, this is a song, right? I don't know how many songs, Jill, Jill, we have sang about like, let's just rain down fire. But they did. And, and you know what he's doing? He's looking back to Sodom and Gomorrah. He's looking back to a moment where God, God saw evil and he in that moment intervened as he did as beautiful and holy as he is. But watch what David's doing, okay? He's not trying to get rid of the reality of the fear around him. He's not trying to like, you know, get, get this out of here, get this out of here. He doesn't even ask to be released from that. He doesn't even talk about taking justice on him on his own. He's not even thinking that way. He just knows where to look when it's crumbling. He knows who's in charge and he's calling on God to be God. He, he, he sees crises as really tests. He sees them as opportunities uh, to evaluate his courage source, his worship. Who will I worship when it's all crumbling? God, this God. And, and you can see this in verse four and five about God. You, you read, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous. Your translation might say examines. What David's pointing out is this. When times are like this, God is on his throne. And, and he sees. And we can take comfort. He sees what you're going through. His eyes see morally perfect. His eyelids test, they examine here. And, and for David, he, the idea is that you'll never really know the roots of your foundation or what you're really refuging in or resting the basis of your life on until suffering hits. I mean, like COVID-19 is just showing us what the basis really, really is. 
That's a gift. Spurgeon thinks the same. He says when, when he writes that God refines the righteous with afflictions. Okay, how many of you, like me, have been recently praying, God, like I just, I want more of you. I, you know, I just want intimacy, like strip everything away and I just want to see you. And then he does and I'm like, what? What are you doing? He's like, I'm answering your prayer. So, so no, short church, it's biblical for God in his perfect wisdom and his holiness to guide us into uncomfortable places because he knows most of us are too afraid to seek them out ourselves. And he knows who we are becoming. If we are becoming more like Jesus, if we're becoming more holy like him, more devoted, beautifully alive to God, flourishing in our souls for God, then he's gonna lead us into Psalm 11 times. Some of you are in the middle of a marriage crisis and, and God's inviting you, look, look, not to fix it, but to ask him to give you his heart for your wife. To ask him, what are you showing me? What are you wanting me to get out and up? Because you're purifying me right now. That stuff that's stirring up in your soul and then that, that you're maybe throwing on the other person is revealing stuff that God wants to make you holy in. I'm not saying each person doesn't have a part, and this is not a marriage counseling time, but what I'm saying to you is where's your refuge? You need to ask Jesus, why is my refuge hanging on her? How come I can't serve him? Psalm 11 teaches us all disasters are examinations to give us what we need for greater worship. This is all about worship. Your life is about worshiping God. You were made to worship. And I'm not saying it's easy, but he's real and you can go to him. Last thing I'll say is I, I really felt led to share uh, this just in light of the context of this uh, psalm that, that a valley, so you might feel like you're in a valley, a hard time doesn't necessarily mean a wrong turn in your life, okay? There's a danger, sure, in judging God or your own spiritual journey by what's happening around you, by the results of what you can see because, and you know this, results tend to ignore the fact that the middle of a story is never the end of the story. We're being made holy. And this Psalm is in the middle. Psalm 11, scholars suggest, is, is either written when David's being chased like a fugitive by you know, the insanely jealous Saul or by his own son. I, I think it's the first, but wherever it is, I want you to think about it, he's in the middle. The point is, is, that is not what David would have expect, this is not what David would have expected for his life. He was promised you're gonna be the anointed one. He was promised you're gonna be the king. It hardly looks like the sweet spot of God's will, but it was. Let me say that again. 
it hardly looked like the sweet spot of God's will, but it was. So listen, David's in the valley, but it doesn't mean he made a wrong turn. Despite this situation, he was right where God wanted him to be. Whenever you let your current failures or your current crumbling circumstances become the determiner of God's character or the condition of your spiritual walk or even how your future is going to play itself out, you will inevitably process some wrong conclusions. And what you'll do is you'll be like these birds and flee to the mount and you'll miss out. The most common solution would be that. But in staying where God has you, it's right there where God wants you to be. Don't think you've made the wrong turn. He knows exactly where you are. He knows who you married. He knows your job situation. He knows where you are. Holy, holy, holy. There's a lot more I could say around Jesus and how he fulfills this psalm, but you can just, you can just see it all over the psalm. He fulfills it a lot. He, d- he didn't escape at the cross when the bow of our sin was being bent. He didn't get out of it. He didn't, he didn't find his own mountain. He saw the holiness of God, the injustice against God. He saw our sin and he trusted himself to God, the Father. And on the cross, Jesus Christ, he died for your sin. You can have forgiveness and a new relationship with God and you can have his spirit come into you by faith in Jesus. When you trust that Jesus died in my place, he bore the penalty. He took the bow of God's justice that I deserved so I could be with him forever. I'll close with this. First Peter 2, 22 to 25 says, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, uh, when, he, when he had fear and when he had his enemies coming at him, when, when, when all that was happening, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, by the way, if you're not a Christian, there's no other religion that has a, has a God coming to earth to suffer for you. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but what, what did he do? He continued to do Psalm 11. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly, holy, holy, holy. Then he says, verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and to live to righteousness. We become holy by his wounds. You've been healed, made holy. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. I wanna plead with you if you are running from the beautiful, wonderful shepherd of your soul, stop, turn around and watch him as he's running to you and run to him, run to him, look to him, look to him. We're gonna pray here and then we're gonna stand together and we're gonna sing, we look to you, Christ the conquering son of God, we look to you. Lord, complete what you have done. So Father, we, 
we thank you and we just we can't even fathom I feel like I got to fall on my face but then no one will see me but I'll do it anyways just you're so holy and um we want to see you as holy we want our lives to be made holy we long for your beauty we want to experience your presence more and more so I ask that you would just come Holy Spirit and may we pull in and just dwell in Psalm 11 with you we pray this all in Jesus name Amen